Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, episode 105. I'm so glad you're here. This is Business of Design. I'm Kimberly Selden. I'm an interior design professional just like you, which means the topic today is super interesting to me. It's about collective or cooperative workspaces. Seems like designers are just a little tired of the isolation and maybe we've had enough of being squeezed out of every equation that equals profitability. We are banding together in new ways to take the power back in our industry rather than give it away. The conversation we're going to have today is going to further that idea just a little bit. I'm going to introduce you to two people. One you may remember from a previous episode, Leanne Bennell. Leanne started her own cooperative six years ago, so she's a pioneer in this area. She's going to tell us some of the pros and cons and share some insights with Tawny, who in episode number 102 asked questions about starting her own cooperative or collective. And then we're going to wrap things up with a conversation that I just found really exciting about collective buying power. How designers like Swati Gura and her partner Julianne Bauer are banding together and buying en masse so they could increase margins and get those straight-to-vendor costs that allow them to make profit on the goods they sell to clients. So if you're a designer who's working from home, this might be particularly interesting because for many, a space outside of the home is a stamp of legitimacy. And that is not unimportant, right? You're working from home and no matter how many times someone tells you it really doesn't impact your value as a designer and it doesn't, you're not buying it. So yeah, renting a space within a collective can be a way to resolve that issue at an affordable cost. But it sounds to me like a collective or cooperative workspace offers a lot more than just that. It's a safe place to discuss ongoing projects and a resource for new ideas. I imagine myself huddled around a coffee machine and dishing on the latest issue happening in one of my projects. Uh, And I'm thinking we would just never run out of things to talk about, am I right? Leanne says they refer to that spontaneous camaraderie that happens in the office as whole talk. Now, I don't have any idea why they do it with a Brooklyn accent, but I love it. So let's go with whole talk. And if you're from Brooklyn, you are rolling your eyes and throwing shade at me right now because I sound ridiculous. And I know that, but I'm cool with it. Leanne also mentions that there's a benefit to banding together in a cooperative workspace in terms of the vendors. They will pay more attention to them, service them more regularly because they are a group now. So again, this is a continuation of episode number 102, where Business of Design member Tawny Peterson asked questions about starting her own cooperative. Leanne, who by the way is an interior designer, has a full-service residential boutique company that does everything from one-room transformations to the whole house build. So she's the real deal, and I do think there's some comfort going into a collective or cooperative workspace where the person running it is an interior design professional and understands what it takes to do this job, how hard it is. 
Leanne sent me a copy of the rules for working within the cooperative, and I noticed there were quite a bit of rules around using the kitchen, using the library, cleaning up after yourself, how to lock up, what to do in an emergency, how to use the alarm and the codes and secure the building if you're the last to leave. It seems to me that if you are going to start a cooperative, you want to have all of those rules in place before you get started. Yes, you will amend them. They will change over time, but there is no reason to reinvent the wheel. Someone already has figured all those things out. Following the conversation with Leanne Bennell is seven minutes of deliciousness with Swati Gura, who's going to talk about the power and benefit of a collective buying group. If this conversation does for you what it did for me, then you'll be happy to know we rescheduled Swati and her partner, Julianne, to come back and do a whole episode about collective buying. So if that's your ambition and you want to start your own collective buying group, look out for that episode. In the meantime, I have joined Design Source, which is Swati and Julianne's collective, and we are going to place a few orders in my office and just see how it goes so I'll be able to report back to you. I'm really curious how this might work. As usual, you guys really keep me on my toes. No time to coast. I'm always experimenting and trying new things and then sharing it with a community. So thank you so much, everybody. Gosh, I love having you in my life. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. As you know, Kimberly is still in Australia. She's wrapped up the weekend of events, and now she's enjoying some much-needed vacation time. So while she's away, we are still holding down the fort and moving ahead with events. So when she's, uh, she is going straight from Australia and meeting me at High Point Market. So hopefully a lot of our members will be joining us there. We've got two events coming up. On Friday, April 5th, we've got Launch Projects Like a Boss. It's a three-CEU course and it's $2.95. Registration's open on the site or you can join us on Sunday for no more negotiating. Kimberly's going to go through some of her tactics for holding your ground and what happens when you deviate from your policies. That's on Sunday, April 7th. So details for both of those are on our website. Make sure you register if you want to join us for the Friday. By the way, you do not have to be a Business of Design member to join us for either of the events at High Point. We also have Business of Design's Elite Retreat Santa Monica coming up October October 24th to 27th. So full details are coming soon, but there is an outline on the site to check that out. Register before April 15th, and it's only a 50% deposit to join us. If you've got questions, feel free to shoot me an email, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. We hope to see you there. And now back to the show. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Business of Design is the coaching community for independent designers like you. We know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, participate in monthly coaching calls, and find unlimited support within our exclusive members-only Facebook group. Unlike traditional coaching, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $79. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too.
Your hair, by the way, it's fabulous. What have you done? Uh, it's a wig. <laughs> no, it isn't. It's like got this auburn cool like undertone and then this luscious blondness on top. I'm like having major hair envy as we're looking at each you other know, recording the podcast. Yeah. I found my hairdresser uh, on Instagram and my I never looked back. She's fantastic. Oh my gosh, I think I need her, but it's a it's a kind of a long way for me to go to get my hair done. But <laughs> it's a bit of a commute. <laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Come on, we're gonna focus now. We have a client meeting, which we're not ready for. Oh, that never happens. To me. Right. <laughs> okay. Scramble last minute. Oh, geez, Louise. Okay, so I'm gonna get us all focused now. Thank you, by the way, for doing this. Oh, absolutely. I uh, was listening to the uh, uh, part one yesterday, which was super interesting. I'm glad I got that. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, I had to call you and talk about cooperative workspaces because you're the pioneer. As far as I know, you're the first one to open a design cooperative, which launched when? Uh, We have been open six years. So we launched in uh, 2013, January. So we just celebrated six years. So, which is amazing to me. It it feels, you know, on one hand, like uh, we're still brand new. And then on the other hand, like, I don't know how I would have worked anywhere else. I feel like I've been there forever. So yeah, pretty excited about that. I love the name too, 7070, which is a clue to the address I figured out one time. Yeah. It's 7070 Design Headquarters, and the idea behind that is that everybody who is working there is um, has their worldwide headquarters at our studio, and um, it, you know it's been it's been a really great experience for me. I've met so many fantastic interior designers, um, you know, and associates who work in the industry through having it. And, um, yeah, I, I, it's been great. It's been really great. Were you the first one or did you discover this idea from somebody else? I believe we were the first purpose-built space for interior designers for co-working. Um, there, there may have been. That other- was, by the way, that that was God. That was God telling you that. <laughs> yes, ding! You win, you win the prize. So you yeah. were, you is there like, what do you have? Is you baking something? That was a timer. It was huge. Uh, no, that was Kelly telling me that. Uh, yes, she'll meet me at the showroom later. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me practically how the space serves the people who are part of the cooperative. We have bricks and mortar, which I think is a lot uh, is important for a lot of designers as they start growing their business. So we have um, a boardroom, we have a kitchen, we have a bathroom, and we have a really significant sample library. Uh, we also have staff spaces, which I think is, um, you know, really appealing to people who are growing and who may have staff coming into their home. Um, and I know for me, when I started having staff come into my home, it felt a little uncomfortable on some days when I wasn't there and they were at my home and, you know, my kids were coming home from school or, you know, or the really the big one for me is... Um, 
when I was uh, sick and I was laying in bed and my staff was like downstairs and I'd be like, oh, I, you know, I should work. Um, so there was, uh, so we have that. Uh, we also have a warehouse. So with dock doors, so we can receive transport trucks. Uh, we have free parking, which in Calgary is a big deal. So, Right. Okay. So there's some practical advantages. You listened to episode 102 and you heard what Martha had to say and you heard Tawny's questions and you heard what Carly had to say. After hearing all that, what do we still need to talk about? I think the biggest thing that I want to say is that, you know, there's many different opportunities for you to grow your business. And we are just one, um, you know, basically a facility for you to do that. We have, of course, the bricks and mortar. We have access to the suppliers. Like we're well served by our our vendors. They come to us, um, and they're they're really good to us. We have great great vendors. And the other part that we have is like the community. So we're small. We don't have twenty four designers. How many are you? Have, we have um, we have space for five. I would say. Uh, interior design firms. We have operated with as many as five. I'd say four is kind of optimum for our space. Otherwise, it gets a little hectic in there. Um, you know, we're about, we're, we're 3,600 square feet. Part of that is, uh, the smaller part of that is warehouse. But I found like optimum use of the spaces with, with four designers. Five, it gets a little heavy use on the library and that can get, you know, hectic and then with staff you know we can have uh you know 12 to 15 people in there with meetings vendors staff principals it can it can get really really busy so i think someone was mentioning um noise uh in a working environment and that's definitely something that we have uh struggled with um on on occasion we do have some policies in place, which is um, the use of the speakerphone actually is tends to be the most annoying one for most people. So we've sort of made sure that there's an understanding that that's not used frequently. Um, and if it has to be used, which occasionally it's required, is that, you know, it's kind of nice to have a little warning for everybody else. We're going to be on the phone, um, just so you know. And, and that that's been pretty good. We do have um, an open uh, ceiling. We have 14-foot ceilings, and our walls don't go all the way up. We've got skylights. Um, so it's kind of a really um, big space, so the, the noise can be an issue. I know I get around it by plugging in my headphones and listening to, I don't know, a podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just to kind of, you know, focus or some music or sometimes just plugging the headphones in. Yeah, just that's what I do on the plane. I'm not listening to anything, but don't talk to me. If you, I'm about to explode. I'm about to go <laughs> off right now. I'm overwhelmed. Headphones on. Don't even look at me. <laughs> okay, so so noise can be a downside, but I bet there's a fabulous camaraderie that happens in the middle of the day, unplanned, where you find yourselves gathered around the coffee machine. Yeah, and absolutely. Talk to me about that. That sounds like a club I want to be part of. Well, you know, I often, you know, we have 
the very demonstrable benefits, which is like the bricks and mortar and, you know, the library and the access and all of those sorts of things. But really, it's the intangible benefits that most people talk about when we're in this space. So they talk about the ability to, um, yeah, have impromptu conversations and just sort of say, I just got off the phone and you'll never guess what happened. And we can celebrate because we do follow along with, you know, uh, landing a client or did you have a presentation? How did that go? Or coming back from a site visit? Well, this happened. How do I deal with that? So there's a lot of real time conversations and communications that happen. We call them hall talks because <laughs> invariably they happen out in the hall. And, uh, you know, and then there's there's always, yeah, around the coffee machine, we have a little lounge area where we sit um, at the end of the day and, and, you know, we'll have a glass of wine and, and um, you know, just sort of commiserate and celebrate. And I think that that's been one of the best things about the the space is that you never feel like no one else is going through the same thing that you are. There is always someone coming to you with an issue that you've tackled or one that um, maybe you haven't tackled, but, but together you can, can put your mind to, whether that's a design issue, a business issue, um, client issue, vendor issue. Like, you know, there's just, there's just so many um, brains working to help you get through it. So it's, uh, it's been, it was my goal to have a community outside of the space. Um, it was my goal to have a, a really strong community where we felt supported and safe. And, um, you know, we have a little bit of a cone of silence around our, uh, our designers. And so we have this uh, innate trust in each other that we're, we're here for, e- for each other and we want to see each other grow. I know for sure that you run a really mature business. Is there ever a moment where you feel like you give more than you get? And do you have to be aware of who's coming into your cooperative, especially I would think if it's small, so that there's some potential upside to you having these people there in terms of getting great business advice? You know, it's interesting you say that because when we started out, um, my husband is uh, my business partner in this, one of my parameters is that we, we, we needed to have someone with some level of experience who wasn't brand new um, to the industry. And I will say that, that in my experience, it's usually somebody who has experience either working for someone else or um, you know, maybe a couple years under their belt or maybe a year under their belt working out of a home office and then they're ready to make the leap to something else. So most people who have joined the space are, are on, a, on a path anyway. So we've had one baby designer in um, and, you know, it was really, it was, it was, it was interesting um, because, you know, they did ask a lot of advice and, you know, some of it is, is, um, I, I wouldn't say it was, uh, too much, but I will say that I learned something from each designer who came in, um, you know, with their systems or with something that they've had happen to them. And, you know, I can recall, you know, oh, this happened 
to someone that I know, a friend, and now it's happening to me and I can take something away. You know, you never, you never know it all. You never stop learning. So there's, there was always something to be gleaned from whoever came in, um, no matter what stage they were at in their business. What are the step-by-steps if you even remember them to get something like this going? For somebody who's listening, who thinks I want a collective, it's probably not as easy as it looks. You probably had some (laughs) big growing pains, right? But do you remember what the basic steps are to getting it started? Yeah, I think um, one of the the biggest things is, is figure out what your intention is. Is it because you want to give to the community or the industry? Um, is it, uh, a revenue source? Like, are you thinking that you're going to make money from it? I think that's the first step is to sort of figure out what it's for, who it's for comes next. It's like, who do you want in the space with you? And it's very similar to, um, figuring out who your client is. You have to define your client. Well, you have to define who's coming into the space with you. What are their values? What's important to them? What are the parameters around um, experience? For us, it was definitely about, okay, well, what does the space look like? And how does the space come about? So we looked at leasing. We looked at subleasing. We looked at heritage buildings. We looked at houses. We looked at commercial buildings. We looked at light industrial Um, so, you know, it was, it was a lot of research as far as what the actual physical space could look like. And we had, you know, we, we had a weird sort of like square footage goal, which we thought would be right for what we had in mind. And, and we found a lot of spaces that were bigger than it. And we found so many spaces smaller, but we couldn't ever really find that, that little, I think it was about 1800 square feet niche. Um, and we came very close a few times. So we had, um, we were about to sign papers twice on two different spaces when they fell through at the very end. And both of those spaces were going to require a significant outlay of funds in order to make it what I wanted it to be, which was purpose built for designers. We needed a significant design library. We needed a place to receive orders. We needed a minimum number of designers to make it work financially for us. Um, So that was like a really big part of it too, is the physical space and what was required. In the end, we, it took us three years um, and in the end, we circled back to a space that we discounted very early on because it wasn't a lease situation. It was a purchase. And uh, we kind of didn't think we, we would purchase the space. In the end, though, with the amount of money that we would have to spend to make any other space that wouldn't belong to us work, it made more sense to actually own the building. Yeah, that makes sense to me, though, too. We've got a podcast coming up on investing for interior designers. And often small business owners think that investing is something for somebody else, but actually it's for us. So Mm -hmm. any regrets about making the decision to purchase? Yeah, no regrets. Absolutely none. I feel very yeah safe and secure in, in the amount of money that we've spent on this endeavor. And I would think that um, when you're renting a space like that, not the owner of the cooperative, but people renting from it, there's sure. a certain level of comfort because you're an interior designer and you're in the business. It's very different than renting from somebody else. 
Exactly. And I think that's one of the things that we're able to offer too, is a little bit of flexibility because we do have a deeper understanding of how these businesses work. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, projects can last two or three years. And sometimes if you're, um, you can, you can commit to a, a lease or a, a an, um, you know, our arrangement, which is a license to occupy, if you know you're going to be on this project for two or three years. I found when I purchased an office, I never ever dreamed I could afford to purchase an office. I never Mm -hmm. thought I wanted to purchase an office. But what I found is when I did that, the universe stepped up and we suddenly got way more work. So I think for some people, it may be worth a leap of faith. I mean, obviously, if you don't have any customers, that's a different story. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes when you get in the game more seriously, the world takes you more serious and you get more customers. I believe that to be an absolute truth, that that you need to do it before you think you need it. One designer that we had where she sort of made the decision really quick, um, I don't want to call her out, Valerie, um, but she <laughs> said... <laughs> She she did, you know, simple math. It's like, okay, well, how much do I have to pay a month? And how much does that math out to extra hours that I need to work to cover my my rent? And, you know, she was like, okay, one and a half hours a week. That's what I have yeah. to work. Not only that, but most people aren't billing for all of their hours. So how about you just bill for all your hours and then you automatically cover your rent? And how about... Your time is so much more efficient because instead of slugging things back and forth to your car and meeting in coffee shops and doing like really awkward presentations at homes, you know, at your client's home, it's so much more efficient to be able to be in this space. And, and you do have a bit more credibility, so your fees can go up. And, you know, there's, a, there's definitely a dynamic that happens once you have that physical space Um, to do it. And then, you know, a cheerleading team behind you who just wants you to like succeed. I mean, we're all there making sure everyone's happy. That's why you have that great hair because you're a cheerleader. (laughs) Well, if you own the building or you're running the collective, then you're the boss, right? Who sets the rules? You do, right? And tell me one of the good ones. I set the rules um, and that those are laid out. And, you know, um, we do have, we call it the hammer clause in the uh, contract, which is if you're not operating with integrity, if there's, um, you know, any illegal activity, if you're contravening our policies to the detriment of the other users of the space, then we can um, basically boot you out. And I think that it's actually an appealing clause for everybody who's joining, not because because they're not afraid they're going to do it, but they're happy that if someone is, that they are safe and that it is a space that is, is um, you know, occupied by lots of people. But but we, we have to be very cognizant of uh, and being considerate of everybody else's desires and use. The hammer clause. I like that. So some of the things that Tawny should think about, and you were at the elite retreat in Palm Springs with Tawny, so you know her. You want her to think about in advance before she sets up her collective. If you had five things that Tawny needs to nail down, what would they be? Mm -hmm. I think think determining um, 
who's going to be there with you. Define your ideal client. Who is your ideal designer in your space? Who is going to fly with you and who's going to support you in those, those you know, downtimes? Who are the people who will look after you? What do they look like as far as their business um, goes and value system? Then the other thing is sort of financially to decide what it is that you can, um, can afford and what it is that you want out of the business financially. Are you going to have revenue monthly? Are you um, fine not having revenue for five years? What does it look like as far as um, threading the needle on what people are willing to pay, but what you need to have income to go to the bank with each month to pay your requirements? Um, there's other ways to make revenue. I know that there are some spaces that actually um, will manage ordering, and then that's a revenue source too. So there's different ways to sort of figure that out. I think also location is really an important thing for us. We're located in a, a spot that's light industrial. It's considered light industrial. But we have three main um, thoroughfares really close to us. So we can get to anywhere in the city fairly quickly from where we are. We also have an abundance of suppliers nearby. So we do have, um, you know, we're really well looked after by our vendors they come to us, we can call them in the morning and say, we need a, you know, 12, 12 inch hex by our presentation this afternoon and they will, they will drop it. So that's um, really good. What am I at for? No, um, that was only three. I'm not letting you off the hook. <laughs> okay. Nice try though. <laughs> I would think um, number four and number five might be something that's in your contract already, like a hammer clause. Maybe there were things, I'm assuming that your contract changed as you learned more yes definitely and I think that sort of that sort of we have like you know the hammer clause and then we have all that you know we have the legal one and then we have sort of a separate policies for inside the office and that's the one that's probably varied the most and sort of grown with us um, because we didn't think this would be a problem but I guess that is a problem um, so we've you know we've very clearly uh, outlined what expectations are as far as behavior in the office. Um, you know, again, like noise can be an issue. So that's addressed in there. The kitchen can be an issue. I know you touched on this, um, in the last episode. Um, and it was, you know, it's like, yeah, everybody's responsible for taking out the garbage. Your mama doesn't live here. Everybody has to, has to clean up. Um, you're hitting the table, I think. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> Your mama doesn't uh, so live here. That's like emphasis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so number so number four, you would say is set policies for behavior. It sounds like you kind of have them already for Tani. She can just start with yours. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, the other thing is like make sure that your community is looked after. We frequently check in with the people who are using our space to make sure the space is still working for them. Um, you know, what is we can, what can we do that makes this better for you? Is there, um, you know, something that we're not doing that we should be doing, or is there something that we're doing that, that, you know, isn't working? And again, because I'm in the space too, I experience these same, um, things with most of the other designers. So, you know, noise was an issue. We had a problem with, like, people bringing their children to work. Oh, <laughs> children. 
<laughs> Dogs fine. Exactly. <laughs> But, you know, and it wasn't like an issue, like it was like everybody had, it wasn't like we were running a daycare, but it was, it could, it could sometimes reduce the professionalism that was happening in the studio. And, um, well, yeah, that was part of the reason you rent the space is so you look more professional when you're doing a client presentation. So I can imagine little Johnny playing with his truck when you're trying to present a huge renovation project is not exactly the impression you want to make. So now what you make them lock the kids in the car or what do you, what do you do? Yeah. Especially if it's hot outside. You put them in the warehouse. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, and most, and, and it's not that nobody, that you can't bring your children, but it's just sort of like, well, are they there for a half day? Are they small children? Are they large children? Like, you know, it's, it's very, it's varies and it varies by day what the requirements are. So while we're flexible, we have to understand that, you know, there, there's a lot of things that, that come into the space um, that do affect other people. I have a dog that barks a lot. I couldn't, I can't bring her anymore. So right. that's just, oh, that's so sad. I know. Um, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine the size of the cooperative might impact some of the rules as too, too, because if you sure. had 25 people, you just can't have 13 kids running around. So right. um, probably the smaller it is, the more of a boutique it is. Maybe the rules can be a little bit more flexible. Yeah. And then, you know, there's, it's always nice to have a heads up to, you know, oh, I have to bring my kids in today. Are you having, is anybody in the boardroom? Can I use the boardroom and set them up with their Netflix or I don't know what kids do these days, but you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Coloring, do color, do they color anymore? I, I don't, don't even know. I think they color on an iPad. I was just out oh. with a little guy and he was coloring on his iPad and I just, I was so tempted to say, you know, that's not really coloring, but I thought I would mess him up for life, so I kept my mouth shut. You're not really coloring. You know that, right? For his therapy, you shouldn't say that. I'm not going to say it for his therapy. Okay, I'm not letting you off the hook. Every episode ends with design intervention. You, you, I'm so excited. You know everything. What are you going to hit us with? Well, I have have, um, one thing, and it's, been something that's kind of top of mind for my business recently and so it was a really easy one is communication and I've learned is wait you just froze I'm not sure why so you said you said communication and then the computer went all weird okay I'll start again uh, communication. So that has come up a lot in my business recently. And what I have learned is that you have to communicate frequently and clearly. And yes, you're going to say it over and over and over and over again. And I think for me, my understanding is, you know, when we start putting some of the important things in front of of our clients at the beginning of the process, like our contract. And as we walk through, they're so excited to move forward that they kind of gloss over some of that deeper stuff that they should be paying more attention to. So, you know, we also send a welcome letter after the contract is signed, again, outlining the salient points, like really like the information that we think they really need to pay attention to. We also have a little blurb in our signatures that remind clients about communication and 
um, please keep copies of communications from us because it's valuable. And if we have to send it to you again, then we charge you. So, um, so I think communication, you know, again, you, it, I can't say it enough is say it again, say it differently, say it over, say it in email, say it on the phone, say it, yeah. say it, say it. Well, you're talking about being clear also with, with clients, but also with trades, with staff, yes. right? Uh, what's the old expression? Tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I know exactly what you're saying. It's our job to be really emphatic and clear about that stuff. And and sometimes ask for confirmation. Um, recently, we had a client we're doing, we started, we're, we're just going to add a screen porch to our country house. And so then I'm on site and I said, you know, uh, it would be great if we could just blow out the wall to the master bedroom and have it, you know, be open to this green porch in the summertime. Oh, that sounds great. So now we added blowing out the wall. Now we are going to have to decorate the bedroom. It's horrible. Like, oh yeah, you're right. It is horrible. Let's, uh, we're out of the bedroom. Then I said, if you're going to do the bedroom, we should do the ensuite. <laughs> And I wasn't like just trolling for business, but really like it's in the country. It's hard to get trades there. Like if we're going to do it, let's just do it. So then finally we said, you know, the island in the kitchen is so weird. Well, how did that island ever happen? She goes, I hate that island. So we're doing the island. Now we're doing the kitchen. So basically we're renovating half house. So she comes back and says she's really excited about everything after the presentation. She'd really like to be able to use the screen porch in the summertime. And I immediately wrote back, not going to happen. Never, no way, not possible. Like there's just no way between now and then to get all of those things done so that they can be enjoying their screen porch in June. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Long winded story to tell you. Yes, I understand. (laughs) Sometimes that's the only way to communicate is the long winded. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. It's always great to chat with you, Kimberly. And uh, are you really looking? Oh, you are you looking for someone to rent space at seventy seventy right now? Yeah, actually, we do have an open office. It just was vacated at the end of this month. Uh, we had actually a contractor in uh, who was there. We always knew it was going to be temporary, and I had been working on a project with him. And so he um, sort of, I, I said he was squatting because he's not really a designer. But um, he, it was great having a contractor in the space. That was fantastic. You know, just someone over the wall you could throw stuff at and see if it's stuck. Um, so that was really good. But yeah, so we have uh, one of our offices, the large offices open uh, right now. And um, yeah, we're looking for another fabulous interior designer who wants to grow their business and join a kick-ass group of ladies. Well, if I lived closer, I would happily take you up on that at 77 Design Headquarters. Get in touch with Leanne. How do they get in touch with you if they're interested in the space? Well, you can probably contact me directly. So through either my website at www.leannebanel.com. I am on Instagram as Leanne Banel. And yeah, I'm available to answer any questions too. Leanne, capital L, capital A. (laughs) It was the nitrous. My mom had nitrous. (laughs) (laughs) I want me some of that some days. (laughs) Thanks, sweetie. All right. Thanks, Kimberly. Have a great day. Thanks so much. 
As promised, we'll now hear from Swati and talk about the power of a collective buying group. Hi, Swati. It's so nice of you to take time to do this. Oh, not at all. Thank you for having me and letting me talk to you today. Well, I appreciate it, especially given that you've had an accident recently and you are recovering swiftly, I hope. Yes, yes. I am on a path to recovery. I'm, um, I'm feeling much better. Thank you for asking. All right. A broken nose and you're still willing to do the podcast. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Well, I reached out to you because so many members are asking about cooperative and collective workspaces, and we wanted to deep dive into that. But it occurs Mm -hmm. to me that there is another option that involves collective buying power, not necessarily Mm -hmm. renting space together. And that's where you come in. You have a collective so you can take advantage of deeper discounts. Is that kind of the essence of how it is? Yes. That is exactly what it is. When we started this collective, Julie and I, um, we realized that interior designers have always been marginalized um, because we may have may, we may have buying power, but not as large a buying power as maybe a store does or a, a buying center does. And um, what we were feeling like was we were being squeezed from all sides, where our clients have access to a lot of two-trade-only sources online now where they can go on various websites and find some things that were earlier only exclusively available to designers and be able to get them without freight or taxes or even like similar discounts as interior designers. We were losing money on that front, the, the markups that we were making, and we were obviously being shopped out. Um, so we came up with this mind collective where few designers had stocking dealer accounts with certain vendors and few others had stocking dealer accounts with certain other vendors. And we all pooled our resources and we came up with this mind collective called design source where we basically share our discounts with each other. So what that does is it gives us a stronger buying power because Right now, we have about 285 designers in our collective that are buying through us all over the country. And what is happening, yes, it's growing rapidly. We started about two and a half, three years ago, three months ago, and, um, and it's all word of mouth. We don't advertise. We don't do any kind of PR or marketing related to it. One designer telling another designer buddy telling another designer buddy, and that's kind of how we have been growing to the point that we are at 280, 384 members now, and it keeps going every day. We get four or five new applicants. So the demand was excessive because of the reasons I explained to you, because either there are large opening orders that designers need to furnish to be able to buy from a certain company at a great pricing, or they need to meet certain minimums like $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 worth of business. So that means that you have to specify all that furniture or lighting from one vendor to be able to get a solid buying power from them. Right. Now tell me practically, how does this work? So our members are vetted and they need to fill out an application and they need to submit their reseller certificate because obviously we don't want people 
who are not supposed to be buying at uh, these prices in our group buying and again marginalizing interior designers so we vet our members a lot and then they get um, access to a shared drive um, like on the cloud which has a vendor list and the account holder and we also have folders with all price lists in it um, and sometimes there are some vendors who do not want you to share prices. So we just tell the members to email the account holder for pricing. So let's say you wanted a sconce, a uh, wall sconce. So you would email X person who is the account holder. Um, let's say it's Julie. So you're emailing Julie and saying, I want wall sconce number XYZ. Can I have my pricing? So Julie will email you back with, the sconce is $200 plus whatever is the freight, 15%. Um, and then there is a 10% commission that you tack on for Julie to process your order and take care of your order and to maintain the account. So even though you're paying 10%, you're still paying 30 to 40% less than what you would be paying if you were purchasing at trade pricing. Right. And you're paying a lot less than you would be if you hired an employee to do that job for you. Yes. So we are taking care of ordering and purchasing needs too. I cannot tell you how many emails I get on a day-to-day basis saying how design source has changed people's businesses and how they're now finally making some money. Uh, in their practice where they have been in the red for the longest time because finally they can mark stuff up without feeling like they their clients will shop them out. This is such great news. I'm so happy to support businesses that do great things for the industry and share profitability. I mean, why shouldn't the designer also make money? There are lots of companies that want to do this service for designers, but they take all the profit. So I love that you guys are willing to share it. And I see the value and I love that it's transparent as well. That 10% makes total sense to me. What happens if there's a deficiency? A light fixture comes in, it's broken. Do I Do I reach out to my account manager again and say, hey, I need some help with this issue? Yes, that's exactly how it works. Wow, this is just fascinating to me. I would love for you and Julie to come on the podcast again and really talk to us more about the collective. And if you would be so generous, would you be willing to share with the listeners how they might start their own if they are considering this kind of a venture? Would that be something you and Julie would be willing to talk about? Yes, we'll be happy to talk about that. Um, And buying collectives is not something new. It has been done for a while on smaller scales. And it's just been a very secretive group where there will be five or six designers who are basically buying and purchasing through each other. What we did is basically made it much of a much, much larger and opened it to designers that are all over the country. Um, so, yes, I would be more than happy to share um, the information as to how people can start it. Just needs to have some rules and regulations and reliable um, businesses who are account holders and everything is accountable. As long as that is the case, um, any buying collective, any, any place in the world would be successful. I am so happy to learn about what you guys provide. That's wonderful. What happens if we want to apply to be part of the collective? 
we have a Facebook page, which is a secret group. Um, it's called Design Source. So if you look up Design Source on Facebook, you will ask to be invited to the group. There are three questions that we ask to make sure that we're inviting people off trade and people who own their own design businesses and who do purchasing. So um, we encourage you to answer all the questions. And once the questions are answered, we accept you based on your answers and we just take it forward from there. Then you're part of it. And then there are forms you fill out, you share your resource certificate. And once we have all your information, you get access to all our vendors. We feel like designers have always been the stepchildren of the industry. Even though we create all this demand, every time we go and ask for accounts, we are told that, uh, no, you have to go through source one who directs you to source two. So there are four or five people who are making money by the time the product comes to us. And we are the ones who end up with 10 or 20% markup, which basically does not serve anything. So this is the reason why this whole buying collective came in place so that we as designers have a stronger and a heftier buying power and we can make money um, doing design work. Oh my gosh. Godspeed. I think it's great. You guys are doing this. Okay. You better accept me in your Facebook group. I'm going to be really hurt if I get rejected. (laughs) I am going to add you myself right now. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Can't wait to talk to you again. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Kimberly, for this opportunity. And thank you for taking time to talk to me today. Thank you for being a part of the Business of Design community. If you love what you hear on the podcast, take the next step by signing up at businessofdesign.com. As our thank you, you'll gain access to Business of Design's 15-step project management strategy, a free introductory course which includes three Business of Design systems you can implement for immediate results. And when you're ready for success, a Business of Design membership, monthly or annual, will dramatically improve your business and your life. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today.